When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Max and Sam in the Until Saturday podcast feed. I am your host, Sam Khan, joined as always by my great friend and colleague, Max Olson from The Athletic. Sir, how are you doing today? We are in November. College football is winding down here in the next few weeks. Tell you what, Please. As, as a young parent, people people don't warn you. Daylight savings time is awful. <laughs> like yes, it is. multiple times this weekend my wife and i have joked about like should we move to arizona like what do we have to do here you know what i mean like how do we get away from this how are you doing i'm doing good i i did appreciate getting that hour back on sunday although Dude, no my co- kids get up at like 5 30 5 45 it's awful <laughs> what are we doing here see my my three-year-old did that but my eight-year-old slept right through it so uh good good so kid. it's a good I, kid i uh, yeah, so so I I am we're doing on the okay. struggle bus over here. I, I'm I'm glad you're doing well. Yeah, no, we're 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 managing. Uh, so it's it's been uh it's been solid. But we got a great show today. We got Austin Meek, our Michigan reporter from the Athletic. He's been probably the busiest man in college football. He's going to join us to give us some perspective on the Wolverines, everything going on there, and of course the game that that they have against Penn State this weekend. Max and I are going to look at some overachievers and underachievers that we've seen so far in 2023. First, we're going to look back at some of the preseason predictions. We're late in the year. It's a good, feels like a good time to kind of take the pulse of what we were right about and what we were wrong about. As always, be sure to follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review. Leave a question with the review. We'll answer it on the show. Subscribe to Until Saturday on YouTube. Be sure to join us live every Tuesday night, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday on YouTube throughout the season as we preview, react to the weekend's games, and of course, react to those rankings on the Tuesdays. The Sunday sound off, of course, we'd love to hear from you, the listeners. You can leave a voicemail or text on the Until Saturday phone line, 316-462-9852, 316-462-9852. And I will say my favorite voicemail yesterday came from Kenny in North Carolina, my brother. I am with you 100% going on about how Ari wanted to declare the national champion on October 28th after he saw the cocktail party and uh, and, and how nobody's going to be Georgia. So I'm with you on that, Keith. One, one of these days, Ari and I will will have it out a little bit about our, uh, our differing worldviews on the playoff in college football. Uh, of course, sign up for the Until Saturday newsletter where you get Mul- your daily fill. Times. You'll have that conversation multiple times. Oh, yeah. Year, and Sam, we've I had it on text. It. The thing is, yeah. we've had it on text a lot, too. We, we've, yeah. we've texted. We've talked we've written dueling columns we we are possibly consider doing dueling columns again and and haven't but i think at some point we're gonna have to have that out with our me and ari uh, uh where we just scream at each other on the mic but <laughs> but uh, of course who, sign who up for the until, yeah uh sign up for the until saturday newsletter uh where you'll find your daily fill of college football news right in your inbox kenny smith our alabama writer chimed in on monday with some thoughts about the crimson tide who are not dead they are very much alive and Max, that's where I want to start the show because as we look back at our preseason predictions and prognostications, you and I on the first episode of this show back in week one, you and I talked about how all of us on this national college football staff, all eight of us had picked our playoff 
participants and not one of us picked Alabama to make it. And you were the last one because you were the last one to turn them in. Mm -hmm. And so we there was a lot riding on that last pick. And then when you turned it in and it turned out that you didn't have Alabama to play off, you, you realized, like we all did, I think, the mistake that we all made. And, and you, you said it on August 29th that Alabama is going to make us all look like complete fools. And here we are on November 6th. And Alabama just beat LSU. They are eight and one. I'm sure on Tuesday night they're going to be pretty well positioned in the college football playoff rankings, buddy. We were wrong about Alabama, and and you were right to say that they were going to make us look that like we fools. would be wrong. Yeah, um, you know I mentioned Sam on this sh- on the show. We could open up with kind of some stuff like you know kind of play a little game. Of we were right. We were wrong. I look in the show notes here. You just came with all the receipts, man. You're holding me. Holding me. I mean, I, I, like I prefer I prefer a lack of accountability, but you, you're bringing it today. Um, I think that you know you, you should add. By the way, so uh, coincidentally, a week before the signal stealing stuff broke, we got a chance to redo those picks. And once again, none of us put Alabama in the college Are football playoff. Are you serious? Playoff. None yeah, of us none put of, Alabama nobody, in there? Nobody, nobody. I don't even think I looked at the revised picks. Wow. You didn't even terrible. consider putting Alabama in like three weeks ago. There's no question. No, um, no. And I think it, that, that was what was striking to me in watching a great game that, obvi- look, obviously, you know, it was unfortunate to see um, Jaden Daniels get KO'd from that game. And that, that really ended it in the fourth quarter. Honestly, Sam, it reminded me of a year ago. Same thing, man. Dallas Turner took out uh, Quinn Ewers in that Texas game, and and that really swung that one. Um, pretty similar looking looking play there. Um, watching that Alabama team and just watching, like I know Jalen Milrow is still making some mistakes here and there, um, but watching him play with a lot of confidence in that game, it was pretty. It was pretty apparent to me. It's like if you think about kind of the narratives of this season a little bit. Certainly, there have been a few teams including Michigan, where you're sort of like, okay, finished product. We know what they are. They are really damn good. Um, you could say that about Washington on their, on their best days. I th- I really think, and I don't know if you would include Ohio State in this conversation, but I really think if you've been watching Alabama and Georgia carefully, I think you are just seeing improvement and progression over the course of this season. And what they're going to look like by the end of November, heading into Atlanta, assuming they'll play each other, um, is gonna I think gonna be pretty dramatically different than what they were in September in in a good way. You know what I mean? Um, now I know Georgia lost one of their top players on defense this week. I'm not saying that they're gonna be better in every way, but like I I think I think we are watching them figure it out and grow up, and uh, that's probably a scary proposition for everybody else in the playoff. Yeah, I think we're so used to them just coming in and hammering people from the start. Right. That's something that everyone knows the name of their half dozen first round Mm -hmm. pick type guys going into the Mm -hmm. year and all that stuff. And some of that's changed because we are in the era of the portal and, and it is harder to hold on to talent, even though those two teams ranked right at the top in in team talent composite, it it is harder to load up. And and then, you know, we've seen transition. Obviously you had a quarterback transition at both schools Mm-hmm. Uh, at getting some, you know, losing some starters who have accomplished a lot. Uh, of course, we have coordinator turnover. And so it takes time. And I think we've taken for granted, I think especially with Alabama, and we, we talked about this last week when Kenny Smith joined us to talk about Alabama, and I had mentioned this. I feel like Saban has had it so many times where they've changed coordinators and, and plugged in new quarterbacks, and it just keeps rolling. And you just figure that's going to happen. And so the minute that didn't happen... I think we all lost our minds. That combined with Georgia winning back-to-back championships, 
we just lost our mind and said, well, and then the, the, I, I will say this, the well, USF, USF game was I ugly. Mean, it yeah. was ugly, buddy. Ugly. I mean, so, and, and of course, Jalen Milrow didn't really play in that game. And so we, we were very much at a loss and I don't think we knew how to handle that. But once they escaped that game with a win and then they went back and won the next week, I did get the feeling that, okay, maybe they've weathered the storm. Maybe they're going to get out of this thing. And then it was just a matter of who would test them, if anybody. Would it be right. Ole Miss, which they beat by two touchdowns? Would it be Texas A&M, which they didn't look great against Texas A&M, but Jalen Milrow had one of his better games and threw it all over the yard. And just slowly but surely, here we are. And then when the big game came against LSU, buddy, they look good. Uh, yeah, Bama's back. Um, they never were dead. Um, maybe it turns out, maybe that means Texas is pretty good too, by the way. Just going to throw that yeah. out there. That 10-point win looks better and better every week yeah. right now. Yeah, uh, that one that, yeah. that one is aging well. So Yeah. How, how, did, did our other takes age well? I don't I don't know, Sam. How how do we do? Uh no, I'm going to go back speaking of the college football playoff picks that we did in the preseason. Yeah. You and I both picked USC to make the playoff. How's that one going? <sighs> uh, <laughs> as you bury your, as you bury that's your true. face uh, into your hands. That is true. That is true. <laughs> Alex true. Grinch fired over the weekend, so USC is not very much not going to make the playoff after losing to Washington. Uh, they're not even in the top twenty-five, brother. So I not only I, did we get that wrong for the first time under Lincoln Riley, yeah. I, you ju- how many times can we say it? Nobody wants to. I mean, they just had to be good enough on defense. That's all they had to be. Caleb Williams mm-hmm. is playing his butt off. I mean, I, there's there's some things that aren't. You know, the offense maybe isn't. Is it, is it the best offense in the country? No, there's there's some flaws to it, but man, they just had to be good enough on defense, and uh, you, they you just could had argue to not it, be terrible. That was it. Uh, just not, don't be not terrible. Not be actively bad. Not be actively yeah. terrible. Um, dude, we're just watching watching Dylan Johnson run through those guys was was mm-hmm. was wild. I know that was the last straw, obviously. Uh, but wa- watching a, a Washington team that has no intention of running the ball against anybody else in the country, just be like, <laughs> here we go. We're going to run for 300 this week, guys. Let's let's go work on some of our deficiencies because it's USC week. Like that was just insane. Yeah. So so we, we were buying on USC because and I was buying on USC in the preseason because they got so close to the playoff last year in year one. Yeah. And I just thought at some point there would be some improvement. I, I saw, you know, Alex Grinch did a good job at Washington State when he was there in the Pac-12 before with Mike Leach. And then at Oklahoma, they weren't great, but I did see improvement, at least from year one to year two. And you saw just signs of them getting better here and there. They weren't always great, but but they weren't as bad as they were, I think, at some points earlier in Lincoln Riley's tenure at Oklahoma. So I thought at some point there was going to be a progression. And then we talked about the guys that they added on defense in the portal, you know, your Barry Alexander's, your Anthony Lucas's, and you just thought that some of that stuff, the uh, Mason Cobbs, that it was going to add up. And the math didn't math. And we just they just continued <laughs> to give up 52 points. They gave up 49 points to Cal. And so, uh, yeah, so USC is 7-3. and three. They're very much not going to make the playoff. Um, we, did, we did do good on our champ picks, I think, so far. So far, you had Georgia as your champion the preseason. Mm-hmm. I had Michigan. Both of them are still very much in it, though Michigan may get at, at midseason. I switched to Michigan, and then and then something and happened. Then, with <laughs> everything happened. Yeah. Something happened with Michigan after that. I uh, did not have good advanced intel uh, of that situation, unlike Connor Stallion. So I, I think. <laughs> um, by the way, if I if I could just like 
me a culpa here. Like, can, you know, Sam, how infected my brain is by the transfer portal. Everything mm-hmm. in my brain this offseason told me Florida State was real. And I should have gone with my gut on Florida State since August, knowing that, like, just from a roster standpoint, knowing, like, they're there. They're, like, they're mm-hmm. ready for this. Um, I should have gotten behind Florida State from the start. I'm not saying Florida State will make the playoff this year, uh, but, man, they're in a great position. And, uh, you know, you you weren't as high on Florida State as you were on Clemson. No, I was not. And I'll give you credit. You 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 may have culped on Florida State really quickly because after that LSU game in week one, that very next week we did the buy and sell. And I, we, we did buy and sell Florida State's college football playoff chances. And you were, buddy that moment you were in. So on Florida oh, yeah. state. So, yeah. so you got on that train. I was on the Clemson train to start this year. So I was wrong about Clemson. 100%. I thought Garrett Riley, Kate Klubnick, it was going to be magic. We were going to turn this program right around. And then they lost to Duke to start the year in very ugly fashion. And then, you know, a week and a half ago, Tyler from Spartanburg come calls uh, Davio Swinney in and drops some Bible verses and uh, some salary numbers and some personal shots. And and then you know, Clemson obviously responded to that. By the way, Cle- Dabo says, "Hey, if you're if you're if Clemson the stock, you better buy some now." So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but are you, buying, but are you are, buying some Clemson stock now, Sam? Are I am not in? buying some. Clemson, I am not buying some Clemson stock right now. I apologize with all apologies to Dabo. I'm not buying Clemson stock at this moment. They're five and four and two and four in the ACC. And so I had them as a playoff team coming in. Uh, I still think they have a lot of work to do to get back to where they need to get. But yeah, I I was way off on them getting the playoff. And FSU has kind of taken the mantle and run with it in the ACC. And and Louisville has, uh, has kind of, uh, you know, gotten in that mix as well. So definitely, uh, I was definitely wrong on that. Okay. You, you also, when we did the buy or sell in September, Sam, um, you were buying on the Pac-12 CFP chances. I was selling on it. Where where are we at today? You think? I feel really good about that because where Oregon and Washington are going to be, they're both obviously in the top ten right now. Uh, I mean, they could be in a collision course to see each other again, and yeah, win, winner gets in. I think at that point. So, uh, so if, if that happens, so I feel really good about that. Uh, we had Tulane in the New Year's Six. Uh, you were bought. You we and me. And you both bought that. I think we're feeling mm-hmm. okay about that right now, but it. Could be a little treacherous because you got Fresno State. It's kind of lurking there. They are eight and one right now. SMU has been mowing people down in that conference, yes. and, and that would be interesting conference championship game in the American if they see each other. So, um, would love I'm to tell see you that, the one that that conference title game. That'd be a great one. Oh, SMU Tulane would be a lot of fun. Uh, yep. A lot of talent on the field for those two. Here's one I got really got wrong. Uh, me and me and Ubbin did a bounce back teams episode on August 14th. And I took Baylor as a bounce back. I also took them over six and a half wins. And buddy, they ain't gonna come close to that. They are three and six right now. Baylor is More very, of a very bad. Dead cat bounce kind of situation. A little bit there. Yeah, that one's <laughs> that one's not great. Um, oh, I, I also uh, had Oklahoma State under six and a half wins. I'm sorry, Mike Gundy. I apologize very much. Yeah, you know, I think gun to my head, I probably would have said six or six or seven wins for Oklahoma State. I had so you know, I had so many people around the conference like telling me they were gonna be bad this year. Like I think people outside of Stillwater thought like they And then they the lost thirty three seven to South Alabama. They did get that was run, pretty bad. They did get run by South Alabama. That is true. <laughs> I mean, come um, on. So yeah, I think uh, certainly like on the on the road to a Big Twelve title game, did not see that coming for Oklahoma State. Shout out to uh, to that coaching staff for doing some of their best work they've ever done. 
Um, if I'm if I'm going to do a little more accountability here, um, I didn't see this coming from Missouri this year. I'm sold now after nope. what I saw against Georgia. There, that's a legitimately good football team. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought USC was like going to be the most interesting team to watch this whole season, and it's like November sixth, and like, do, does anybody like care about their games left? Like, I, I, not not as much, right? It'd be interesting to see how they play against Oregon. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Don't know about it. Let's see. Miss yeah. I, you know, I did preseason, Sam. I did have Michigan and Ohio State in the playoff. And I'm starting to come back around on that a little bit. Mm, interesting. What do you think? That's gonna- do, you, do you think do you think we're I, I mean, we're going to talk about this with Austin. Um, a lot of a lot of a lot of uncertainty here over the next 30 days on, on the Michigan uh, home front there. But uh, could you see them both getting in? Yeah, I think so, because Ohio State's got those really good wins. I mean, they were number one in the first playoff rankings. And on Tuesday night, I assume they'll still be in a really, really good position. Uh, They're going to need some help, but I still think it's in play for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we get to Austin, my last one, I think we were all wrong. Ubbin was the most wrong on this one, though. So I'm going to throw him under the bus on Texas Tech over seven and a half. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. they're they're not going to make that, so... That's been a uh, that's been a season from hell for them. Um, that was a good bounce back against TCU, but uh, just in terms of the injuries that they've dealt with, um, yeah, did not uh, did not see that coming. Yeah, it's it's been a tough year for them. But let's uh, let's talk to Austin Meek about the Wolverines and everything going on in Ann Arbor. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We welcome to the show a great friend and colleague, a man who has probably been one of the busiest in college football media lately, Austin Meek, Michigan beat reporter for The Athletic. Austin, thanks for joining us on Max and Sam. I feel like when we saw you last and had you on the show last at the Fiesta Bowl when Michigan lost to TCU, not long after that, you had a pretty busy January and it felt like there was news dropping every day or every other day on the Michigan beat. And now here we are in November, and we're back in that same situation for very different reasons. How are you surviving this uh, this uh, crazy situation that we have now with Michigan football? Yeah, you guys, I'm trying to think about what's going to happen next year uh, <laughs> in the week of the Michigan-Michigan State game. Last, uh, last year, we had the tunnel. This year we had the sign stealing. So next year, like I'm, I'm trying. I don't even want to imagine what's going to top this next year. Uh, because it, it has been totally crazy. Um, I mean, the last three weeks are just kind of like a blur. It's like something every day is happening. Uh, but you know, it's uh, that's college football. I mean, it's this sport is just crazy year round, three hundred sixty five days a year. So I, it's why we do what we do. But it it has been crazy. 
I know next year Austin's going to ask to go to a different beat is what's going to happen. <laughs> he's going to ask to go to somewhere a little bit low, can, low maintenance. Can we get you like a nice trip to L.A. next year on that Big Ten schedule am, or something, uh, Austin? I'm actually applying to be our new Hawaii beat writer. I think we need to add that that beat at The Athletic. Uh, pretty pretty low key. Uh, you can just chill on the beach. So we'll see if that gets approved. Yeah, I like that. No yeah, like a, like a summer, like your summer home in Hawaii that you just cover the program for like yes. three months before you yes. have to come back. Uh-huh. Austin, I know that's probably hazardous to even ask this, but it's it's Monday morning as we tape this. Where do you think things are heading this week before Michigan plays Penn State? Um, what is your sense of next steps here for, for Jim Harbaugh and Michigan? It feels to me like we're kind of heading for a showdown. Uh, I think the Big Ten is at the point where they realize that they can't just stay on the sidelines of this thing. There's too much anger and outrage from the other schools in the Big Ten who want to see some sort of immediate action here and aren't going to be satisfied to just sit back and wait for the NCAA process, which, as we know, can take months or years. So there's there's really pressure on the Big Ten to do something right now during the season to punish Michigan. But there's also a lot of pushback from Michigan right now saying that the the Big Ten would not be respecting the the due process requirements to step in the middle of this right now and and punish Michigan before the NCAA process plays out. So it's really, I mean, it really feels like a, a stalemate right now between Michigan and the Big Ten that ultimately is, I think, going to be broken at some point this week. Uh, and then we'll just have to see what that means for Jim Harbaugh, what that means for Michigan and the rest of Michigan's season. But I, at this point, I, it's hard for me to imagine that there's not some sort of action taken by, by the Big Ten on this just because of the, the pressure that has been building on Tony Petiti to step in and do something as the commissioner. You know, Austin, I thought over the weekend it was very interesting to see the letter from Michigan President Santa Ono to Tony Petiti urging due process, urging them to, to not re- you know, rush a punishment. It did seem to me like Michigan was kind of laying out its strategy a little bit here and its position on how to attack this. What were your takeaways on um, kind of that, that statement being made on the Michigan side of things? Yeah, completely. I think that was, that was Santa Ono, the Michigan president laying out Michigan's position on this, which is that a Michigan wants to wait and see what comes out of the NCAA investigation, which look clearly there's a self-serving part of that from Michigan's (laughs) perspective because Michigan has a team that can win the national championship right now. So it would be very much in Michigan's interest to push all of this to the off season. And if Michigan goes back to the playoff and wins the national championship, they'll worry about all this later. That's what Michigan would like to do. And that's part of why the big 10 schools are so eager to see the the conference step in because a lot of teams around the big 10 feel like that wouldn't be right for Michigan to have a chance to, to go on and play for a national championship potentially with this hanging over the program, but Michigan's position is very much wait, let the NCAA investigation play out. Or if the big 10 is going to step in and get involved, Michigan wants a chance to basically make its case and, and present whatever evidence it has mitigating factors, things that Michigan is going to want to argue to try to potentially lessen whatever punishment Tony Petiti might want to impose on the program. Austin, I'm curious because this is all going on and we've all been fascinated to watch this unfold and and see all the different things happen. But you talk about them making their case. 
th- that that obviously involves Jim Harbaugh and the coaching staff to to a certain degree. I'm curious as, as they're preparing for games each week. As this week, of course, you've got Penn State, which is a huge one. D- does that impact? H- how does that impact the coaching staff, the university, as it's trying to actually win football games? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I this program under Jim Harbaugh has always been, I think, very good at compartmentalizing of having all of this stuff swirling around the program. I mean, there's no time that I've covered Michigan that there hasn't been something going on around the program. Jim Harbaugh is going to the NFL. He's under NCAA investigation. There's always something with Jim Harbaugh. And one of the things this Michigan team really seems capable of doing is flipping that switch. And when it's time to play, they are really locked in and really focused. Now, having said all that, even for, by the standards of Michigan, like things right now are, are just at a crazy level that I, I haven't seen before. And so I don't, I don't know how the program will respond. I mean, I, I think it's fair to say we don't know who's going to be coaching Michigan on Saturday against Penn State. <laughs> and it's Monday. And that, you know, that is a huge thing, I think, that, that everybody in the program has to, has to deal with. So I don't know how they're going to respond to that, but I will say this this team over the last three years has really shown an ability to be focused on football when it's time to go out on the field and play. Yeah, Austin, talk about unprecedented situations here. Uh, you've already watched this team go through three games without Jim Harbaugh this season yeah. uh, due, to a, due to a separate suspension. So I'm, I'm curious if the interim measure here is a, subse- a, a suspension uh, for Jim Harbaugh of, of – some length we have no mm. idea what 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 do you think is like the tangible impact of that given that they've already had a, a few games to uh you know clearly they use those to let several other people have a chance to be the interim coach like how, how do you think they would move forward yeah yeah i mean I, it is a weird irony of all of this that michigan has had to do this already this year uh jesse mentor has had a game as a head coach drone moore had a game as a head coach mike hart had a half as a head coach so any of any of those guys potentially could be an interim head coach for Michigan if Jim Harbaugh is suspended. Uh, I I think that you know I, I don't want to call it a silver lining, but I do think that it is true that Michigan has had many times to contemplate the idea that Jim Harbaugh would not be the coach at Michigan, whether it was because he was going to leave for the NFL or because he was suspended. The idea of Jim Harbaugh not being here and someone on this staff stepping into to fill his shoes. It's not the first time that idea has been contemplated by anybody at Michigan. So, you know, I, th- I think everybody has a pretty high opinion of Sharon Moore as, as a guy who's probably going to be a head coach somewhere. If, if it worked out that he had to step in there and be Michigan's head coach again this season, I think there'd be a lot of confidence that he can do the job. But I also will say we saw a really tangible difference in the way this team played when Jim Harbaugh came back. Michigan played pretty well in those three games that he wasn't there. They won all three non-conference games by, by 25 points or more. But this team really went to another level starting in Big Ten play when Jim Harbaugh came back. And a lot of people attributed that to that sense of everything being back in order again and uh, just what Jim Harbaugh's presence means to the team. So it would definitely, I think, be a big challenge for this team now you know, they're not playing UNLV or Bowling Green, they're playing Penn State. And if they had to do that without Jim Harbaugh, I think that that would be a, a pretty significant challenge for, for the program and the players. 
you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that all unfolds this weekend. And of course, like we said, as as the story keeps going, you know, things keep coming out, and there's been this trickle of information. And I feel like we've all had our own reactions to it. Uh, obviously, there's one reaction outside of Ann Arbor and and all across the country, and then there's uh, there's a reaction among the Michigan fan base that is a little probably a little bit different. Uh, I'm curious, just generally, as this story has unfolded, what's been the vibe on the ground there? Because you're there uh, on a daily basis, and and you have a pretty good pulse on the program. What has been the vibe of how the public has received it in Ann Arbor, both among the program and the fan base to with everything that's going on? Yeah. I mean, if you know anything about the Michigan fan base, I think there are more uh, attorneys per capita in the Michigan <laughs> fan base than probably any other. So many, many legal strategies have been put forth by it's a, Michigan it's a fans. It's a litigious group. Yeah, we can say <laughs> it that. Is. Yeah, it is. Um, so whether any of those would actually hold up, I have no idea. I'm not an attorney myself, so I can't I can't speak to that. Um I mean, we, we also have the the private eye red herring situation going on here too, which is yeah. I mean, we just got all these little extra uh, uh, yeah. tentacles to this one, don't we, Austin? Many, many, many layers to this. I mean, I think if you're not a Michigan fan and you're not uh, emotionally invested in this, you're you're probably looking at it from the outside and saying, "Well, this is really clear cut. This guy was buying tickets at other schools. You know, there's security footage of people in those seats taping the sideline. Uh, there's the evidence that the NCAA reportedly has." You know, the, the, the images that we've all seen and analyzed of the guy in the goatee and the sunglasses and the hat on the central <laughs> Michigan side. I mean, you know, you don't have to be Columbo to put all the clues together here and have a pretty strong sense of what happened. But at the same time, you know, it is true that um, there is a higher, you know, burden of, of proof to really definitively determine what happened here. And so a lot of what you hear from Michigan fans is is you know, an attempt to really like argue the technicalities of what, what actually would have to be established in order to punish Jim Harbaugh and and Michigan for this. I mean, I I feel like the evidence that's out there is pretty, pretty damning. Um, but that's why they do investigations. And I, you know, I, I do want to acknowledge that they play the game, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that's right. And the investigations are a big part of the game for Michigan. Um, as, as we know well, because there've been, there've been many of them. So. Yeah. Winning on a technicality, just like a good attorney would, you know, that's, that's exactly what <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, Austin. Um, oh, by the way, it's, it's finally time for the Penn state game and yeah. a legitimate test for the Mich- Michigan team. Uh, before we get into the keys for this game, I, I want to ask you, is, is that, has that been a little jarring in all of this to like take all of that information and be chasing all this down while also recognizing, I'm guessing this is this probably the best football team you've ever covered. I think it's well, that's <laughs> like, a great question. It's I, it's the best Michigan team I've I've covered, um, and it may well be the best college football team I've covered. I mean, you know, I the team I would think about. I covered the 2014 Oregon team that played for mm-hmm. a national championship. That team was really good. Uh, this Michigan team is is up there. I think it's the best Michigan team of of. The three, you know, in the last three years, the previous two won the Big Ten, went to the college football playoff. I think this Michigan team is better because of J.J. McCarthy and the level he's playing at. So that I mean, that is really it's hard to hard to reconcile those two things. If if none of this other stuff was happening, this Michigan Penn State game would be like, you know, the biggest story of the year so far for Michigan. And I mean, it's almost like it's almost like a, a sidebar now to all of this other stuff, which 
you know, maybe it shouldn't be. I mean, I know a lot of Michigan fans I've heard from are like, why, why does everybody have to talk about all of the sign stealing stuff when we've got this big game coming up and I get it. But at the same time, like, you know, the numbers don't lie and you, you know, just look around college football. I mean, this is the story that everybody in college football is, is talking about and tuned into. And it, it clearly is, you know, a huge story in the sport, uh, and it just is, is happening to coincide with what happens to be a really big game also on Saturday at Penn State. Uh, uh, you know, it's funny. Also, we, we did the survey last week of 50 coaches across the country, and, and obviously, um, you know, a lot of them feel strongly about this. They they think about the idea of what Connor Stallions would have gathered and feel like that would have provided a significant advantage. A lot of them did. Some of them just said, hey, you know, they've got extremely good players. They've recruited and, and built a great roster like they're going to be good no matter what. I'm I'm curious um, as you watch this Michigan team and and it play out at season and and I'm glad we're finally getting to you know a real a real test for them. But um, like how 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 good do you think this team is going into Penn State? Like how ready are they? Do you think for for Penn State for Ohio State for these games that will uh, you know ultimately define the season on the field? Yeah, I mean Jim Harbaugh kind of pushed back on that Saturday night after the the Purdue game, you know, the idea that Michigan's success was somehow predicated on, on stealing signs and what Connor Stallions was doing. You know, he made the point that basically, you know, people can say that people can speculate about why Michigan has been good, but you know, his position on it is like, look at this team, look at how many of these guys are going to be in the NFL and, and, you know, try to say that, Oh, it's because they were stealing signs. I mean, I, my thought on it, is that part of the, you know, really part of the shame of all this is that I don't think Michigan needed to do this. I I think that this team could have basically, you know, equaled the accomplishments that it's had the last three years without going to these these lengths. You know, it it, it to me it, it just seems like overkill. Like they didn't have to do this. They are good. Like they they have NFL players on this team. Um I, I mean, in the last two games, you know, the way they played against Purdue and Michigan State, um, there was no like noticeable drop off like, oh, well, you know, they, they can't do their, you know, their sign stealing thing with Connor Stallions anymore. It's not like they had close games you know, against Michigan State and Purdue because of that. So um, to me, I, did it have an impact? It certainly did. And I, I completely understand the position of the Big Ten schools who want to say like, they did benefit from this and it's not fair that they did and they should be punished for that. I think that that, I agree with that position. Uh, but I don't think Michigan, um, you know, I don't think Michigan becomes the third best team in the big 10 without, uh, whatever advantage they had from sign stealing. I would still say that this Michigan team has looked like the best team in the big 10 to me. And I don't necessarily think that that changes a lot because of anything that that's happened here. Yeah, Austin, on that note with the talent, I think uh, Ari and David kind of fielded this question a few weeks ago in the Sunday sound off about game breakers and what Michigan has on that front. And, and they even had a very spirited debate about J.J. McCarthy. And We had Dane Brugler on our pod a couple weeks ago who thinks J.J. McCarthy's QB3 in the 2024 draft. And, and I'm curious just from you having watched this team to what degree – is he a difference maker if they end up getting on a run to the national championship? And also, 
for for people who have just been casual fans who just been engulfed in this story and not necessarily on the field, who are the other game breakers that you feel like when they face a Georgia or they face an Alabama that that are going to change the game for Michigan? Or a great uh, Penn State defense, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, JJ McCarthy's the biggest difference with this Michigan team than either of of the last two because he's just playing at a a completely different level than even he played at last year. His ability, you know, his playmaking ability on third down um, is is exceptional. Um, he can really beat you like in every way. He can beat you with his legs. You know, he can he can be patient in the pocket when he has to be. Uh, if you want to blitz him, he can get out of the pocket and make a play. I mean, he's just really, I think, in in total command of of this offense. And it's really we've seen the evolution from Michigan last year as a team that everything went through Blake Corum. Uh, it was a team that was really an offense that was really predicated on the on the running game. Um, there aren't many great teams like that in in football now, where you're you know if if your running back is the center of everything you do on offense, like that's not really the the typical way to win now in college football. And so they Michigan has evolved to be now a really quarterback driven team, uh, and I think that that will give Michigan a better chance to compete against whoever it is, Penn State, Georgia. Ohio State, um, but you know the the weapons around JJ McCarthy. He has really good ones. Roman Wilson has has um, emerged as a legitimate number one wide receiver, which I think is another uh, development with this team. Colston Loveland as as a tight end, I think is is uh, a playmaker. So they they have guys around JJ McCarthy on this offense, but it it does really all start and end with him. Um, Jim Harbaugh said he's the best college quarterback to play at Michigan, which is a pretty, a pretty lofty statement. Um, but I think if, if you look at what JJ McCarthy's done this year, I think there absolutely is, is a case for that. Shout out to Chad Henney and, and, uh, <laughs> Drew Henson and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of greats. Yeah. And, uh, and the guy before. making the, making the statement, right. He was a pretty good, uh, Michigan quarterback. Yeah. Too. Yeah. He did it too. Yeah. He's pretty good. Um, I, I know it's hard to like shift gears a little Austin and, and actually think about this matchup. But when you look at where Michigan's at right now, what do you see as keys to victory against a Penn state team that, uh, you know, certainly looks like they can go four quarters with them. Yeah. I mean, um, Michigan's defense has, has not given up many, um, many sustained drives this year. I mean, you know, you've mentioned the stat and it's incredible. They still haven't defended a first and goal. I mean, they've played <laughs> nine games. How, how crazy is that? Like, teams have just not been able to drive the ball down the Friggin field. force field there Michigan. at the 10. It's yeah. unbelievable. Um, and if you look at Penn state, they have not been a team that has had a lot of explosive plays. You know, they've been a team that's had to drive the ball down the field. So to me, that's an interesting aspect of this game because I don't think that you beat Michigan without hitting some explosive plays. When Michigan has given up scores this year, it's been because they've given up a big play. Uh, so can Penn State hit a couple of those? If they can, I think they've got a chance to be in the game. Um, I guess I'd say the other thing is you know, Michigan's running game has not been as dominant as it was last year or the year before. Uh, I, that hasn't been like a problem for Michigan. They've been able to move the ball and score in other ways. But I do think there's a little bit of a question of, can Michigan still do that if they have to? Can, if Blake Corum has to carry it 30 times in this game, can he do that? And what, what is the result going to be for Michigan? I think that this is the type of game 
where Michigan might want to be able to lean on the running game more than they have this season. Um, and so I'll be curious, like, does JJ McCarthy have to go out and win this game for Michigan or can they, can they run it, you know, 30 times and, and, um, do what they want to do on offense. That's going to be, I think, interesting in this game. Awesome. Before we get you out of here on that note with, with Michigan's defense, obviously you mentioned the stats there and how much they've succeeded. Drew Aller in, in this Penn state offense, when they had their last big test in the big 10 against Ohio state had, had a lot of trouble getting things going against the Buckeyes, but they looked a lot better. Last week against Maryland, four touchdowns for Drew Aller, uh, 51 points up on the board uh, against Maryland. I'm curious what you think about whether this, you know, th- this is a Penn State offense that could make things interesting on, on Saturday against Michigan and uh, h- how they're kind of looking at what, what Penn State may bring on Saturday. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's hard to know because, um, you know, you, you've got uh, October, November, Maryland is kind of a phenomenon in the Big Ten where uh, it, Maryland just hasn't been the same team late in the season that they are early in the season. So, um, you know, the, the body of work with Penn State over the whole season says that, you know, they're not super dynamic at wide receiver and Drew Aller has been, um, you know, shown flashes of being the type of quarterback that could elevate Penn State to the point of being able to win a game like this, but he just hasn't been that consistently throughout the season. Um, and, you know, you've you've got the James Franklin factor. I mean, I've watched Michigan and Penn State play a, a lot of games against each other, and both of these coaches have been criticized at different times for, um, you know, going conservative or not being willing to really um, – be the aggressor like you have to be in a game like this. And Jim Harbaugh's kind of shed that reputation the last couple of years. I think James Franklin still kind of has to wear it until Penn State goes out and wins a game like this. Uh, so I guess all that to say, I don't really know. I think that I think that Drew Aller gives Penn State a, a higher ceiling to be able to win this type of game than Penn State had the last couple of years. Uh, and it's just a question of whether this is the game where we really see Penn State play up to that or or if we see a Penn State team that looks more like the Penn State team against Ohio State that just wasn't explosive enough really to have a chance to win that game. Austin, um, regardless of how this game plays out, when you, when you think about it, I'm curious, at the end of the game, what will be shorter, the post-game handshake between James Franklin and Jim Harbaugh, <laughs> if Jim Harbaugh is there, or Jim Harbaugh and Ryan Walters this last week? Well, it's hard to it's hard to get much shorter than Jim Harbaugh and Ryan Walters. I mean, that was I had to watch it a few times even to know that it occurred. <laughs> like I didn't even hardly see Ryan Walters in the frame. He was going so fast. So, uh, yeah, that I mean, that's a good, I guess the only way it could be shorter is if Jim Harbaugh is not participating in it. If Jim uh, Harbaugh <laughs> is watching YouTube TV at home on Saturday yeah. again. Yeah, exactly. So, the quad we'll box. See. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Austin Meek, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Continued great work on Michigan football and the story and everything going around this program at this time. And if you Hopefully don't end up getting broken the last 25 minutes while you're talking to us too, <laughs> buddy, right. you yeah, know, right. on wood. I mean, I've fingers I've, crossed I've here had one eye on my phone, which has been basically 24 <laughs> hours a day the last three weeks. So I think we made it through. I think we you could have pulled a Schefter yeah. on us and said, Oh wait, guys, I'm getting a call. Hold on. Like, and I <laughs> hold wouldn't the, blame you. Hold this all you know? up. 
yeah, yeah. I'm not quite that big time, but, uh, but yeah, good to know I have. That you don't option. have two cell phones. No, not yet, not yet. Uh, but if you do not get on that Hawaii beat next year, at the very minimum, if Michigan makes it to the national championship, I will buy you steak dinner in Houston. So <laughs> yes. right, I'm going to take yes. you up on that. I'm going to hold you to that. So. We'll see if we get there. You you Appreciate are deserving it. of impermissible benefits at the end of the season, no matter what, Austin. <laughs> get this boy a cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> Great convo with Austin Meek, and Michigan has been really, really good this year. But let's talk about some teams that we didn't expect to be good this year, or some teams that we expected to be good that haven't been. Let's talk overachievers and underachievers. We're we only got three weeks left in the regular season. I think this is a we've got a good sense for who everybody is at this point. I think it's a good good chance to take a look at who's who's outperformed their expectations and who has massively underperformed. Max. I'll start with you. Which one of these do you want to drive in on? Dive in on first. Uh, you know, there's a couple. There's a couple that just hit their sixth win over the weekend. I thought Arizona has done an awesome job. Um, they're on an incredible run here. They're one of the hottest teams in the country right now. They just jumped into the top twenty-five. Um, they've won three straight games against uh, top twenty-five opponents, which is a pretty crazy stretch for them. They're playing much better defense. Certainly, uh, Noah Fafita stepping in and, and being a difference maker at quarterback uh, has been really fun to watch. And, you know, for, for year three, Jed Fish is, and his staff have just really done a nice job. So, yeah, over-under on them was uh, was five. They just hit six. Um, you got to feel really good about the momentum of that program. Uh, Arizona and then also West Virginia, we mentioned earlier, like to get their sixth win. Uh, I think there are few coaches that were like more acutely aware of how on the hot seat they were going into this year than Neil Brown. And, uh, you know, I wrote about it a few weeks ago, but just to their credit, like they did a great job of just blocking all that out and just getting better, just flat out getting better. Um, and you know, part of that is having, having good quarterback play, like you mentioned before with Garrett green, part of that is, uh, you know, just, People, people just set the bar way too low for this team. They had, they had. I love Garrett Green, be by the way. Yes. I love Garrett Green. I got to watch him in person for the first time a few weeks back, and he's that dude a is a Big Twelve quarterback. Yeah, a hundred percent. He just doesn't. He does not care. He just throws the body around and runs wherever and throws the ball wherever, and he just he's got a little juice to him that I really, really like. So he's he's fun to watch. It's a good team they've got over there. I, I got to shout those two out. Who, who who else jumps out to you in terms of uh, big overachievers? Hat I'm wearing right here. This hat I got Ooh. on Texas State. Oh. The Bobcats got bowl eligible this week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in the G5. Okay. As a shout out to G.J. Kinney and the Texas State Bobcats who are bowl eligible for the first time since 2014. Uh, they beat Georgia Southern. Uh, by a few scores, they're six and three right now, and have done a really good job. This is a program that hasn't won more than four games in the last eight years, and they are going bowling. I saw guys jumping in the river after this game, even that was awesome. including yeah. the coaching staff and the school president. Uh, so they have been a big overachiever. Uh, it sounds. Str- I think Louisville. Louisville is is definitely been in that group. I think. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I certainly didn't peg them to be sitting here right now. Uh, this late in the season at eight and one and in the top 15 in the rankings. Uh, they, Man, had, they, they know, really are kind of the TCU of this season, aren't they? I think they are. Yeah. First we were, year been, staff walking into a situation, kind of adding a little bit in the portal just to kind of fill out the needs a little bit, but just taking what you got and, uh, and putting a really nice run together. Yeah. And one of them, uh, Northwestern, you know, obviously they had, uh, the situation with Pat Fitzgerald at the start of the year and, and losing him after, uh, 
the hazing allegations, and it's uh, they they had the over under win total this year of three, and they've already Mid-sense. surpassed that. They they're sitting here yep. at four and five, and you know it's uh it's been it's they, they, the cats have definitely done definitely overachieved this year. So uh, did did you watch a lot of Iowa Northwestern on Saturday, Sam? No, no. Uh, I've no? got I've got better ways to spend my time, buddy. I really do. You weren't what uh, did, weren't logging into Peacock to check that one out. How, how did how did the uh, how did the over under situation end up on that one? Because it was uh, wasn't well, it thirty? Total, wasn't the total I mean, thirty? The game total was uh, seventeen. Um, so if you bet the under, <laughs> so they went um, under. They went under. Was, well, they by by a little bit, but yeah, they went over by a little bit. Um, yeah, that would have been a good. Uh, you're not going to get a good number on it, but that would have been a good bet the farm bet for sure. Yeah. Uh, Missouri Guess also, what? I'll throw it in Iowa there. Iowa did not throw a, the ball very well and uh, did not do much on offense, but so, they were so in the, position so to win off- on special teams at the end, you know? So the offensive coordinator change didn't really do that much then. <laughs> at least not yet. <laughs> uh, since making the offensive coordinator change, their uh, season uh, scoring average has gone down. That is that is true. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh well, I, 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 that's that's unfortunate. So they have eighty. Iowa has eighty-one points right now. But uh, Mizzou is another overachiever. I'll shout out. We we talked about them earlier too. But uh, six win total over under six wins. And like you said, they they went up against uh, Georgia and were impressive. Seven and two on the year so far. Uh, so they they very much Eli Drinkwitz has done a great job. Really stuck on the talent there. Yeah. Uh, yep. So they've done a good job. Let's talk underachievers and. I think you know where I want to start, Max. You want to just really, really get after Sam Pittman in Arkansas? Is that what you think? <laughs> no. No. You know what? Speaking of Sam Pittman in Arkansas, Kenny Guyton, one Kenny Guyton was the offensive coordinator this week uh, mm-hmm. after Danny Enos got let go, a uh, former Ohio State quarterback, and they were able to pull out a win. So shout out to That Kenny was a Guyton positive change in OC. Yes, that, it was. That, that one worked out well. But yeah, Texas A&M, obviously, I think is the biggest underachiever of the group here when you look at them team talent composite fourth uh in the country and they are certainly not playing that way they're sitting here at five and four after losing to Ole Miss uh and I'm sure Lane Kiffin really enjoyed that that victory but it's uh it's getting it feels like it's uh crunch time in college station right now uh yeah a few weeks left in the season uh over under total for Texas A&M in the preseason was eight wins they would have to win out just to meet that. So, do you see them beating LSU right now? Nope. Uh, I will say this: LSU's defense is not very good. But I, I can add. I can A&M's confirm it's offense, not good. Yeah, A&M's offense hasn't been great either. They they had a they they bounced back uh, after falling behind uh, by two touchdowns against Ole Miss. But do I have faith that they're gonna take advantage of a, a weekend LSU defense? Not necessarily. I mean, that offensive line has been uh, on the struggle bus for Texas A&M for three years now. Going back in three years, I went back and looked it up. They have ranked in the hundreds each of the last three seasons in pressure rate that they've allowed. Mm-hmm. And they've obviously had quarterback injuries each of those years. Uh, so that's a problem. So, you, you know, Sam, I, the, the, over that three-year stretch, too, I've been doing our um, the athletics uh, freshman All-America team. They they always have guys up for freshman all America on the O line, and at some point you should stop starting freshmen on the offensive line. At some point that should not be going on, right? That's right. That's <laughs> the right. Yeah, that they've done. Um, if you've got two freshmen starting um, frequently, um, 
That's not a, that's not a good formula. That's not a good recipe. Not 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 ideal. Do do you think it is Jimbo coaching for his job against LSU? If I Possibly. if I if I asked you today, possibly. I, I, I think I think it very I think it very much is that's a very much a possibility. I think how these next three weeks play out, really two weeks because they've got Abilene Christian in the middle, which they'll win that. But these next two SEC games that they have on their schedule are really going to be huge. They've got Mississippi State this weekend mm. in College Station. And then they finish at LSU. And I can tell do, you the fan you, base is out. The fan base is already done. That the, they the fans have moved on, I think. Or they, yeah. they are ready for a change. Right. But again, it's a seventy-seven million dollar question that we're discussing yeah. here. And it's not as cut and dried as, oh, you want to get rid of them, you can get rid of them. It's a lot of money. Uh and I, I do think uh yeah, I do think there's a scenario where he's back next year. So I think how they fare in these next two SEC games, final two SEC games of regular season is going to tell the tale. Do you think that if Texas A&M lost to Abilene Christian, that would be detrimental to his future in College Station? I think, I think so. Think you think so? Be. Okay. All right. Just, yeah. just making sure. Didn't want to, didn't want to jump, jump right past <laughs> that. No, I don't see them. Happen. I don't see that happening. But no, it's going to be a, it's going to be a real tense month around there. Um, as, as we all kind of imagine once you, once you kind of look at the way this schedule is going to shake out. Um, but hey, you can't. You're you're right. I mean, there's definitely some. This is a flawed. Despite what David Ubbin told the world, this is not a national championship caliber LSU team. Um, they've they've got some flaws, and, <laughs> and they got a chance to. They A and M can certainly mess around and win that game. Yeah, yeah. If they end up, if they end up eight and four, I feel like that's the worst kind of purgatory for Texas no man's fans. Land. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Sure. It, it, it puts him in a bad spot. So some of these other underachievers we talked about at length. Clemson, we mentioned over under was ten wins. Uh, they ain't gonna make. Why that. was it ten? Uh, I don't do. Do does anyone remember why we did that? Is that just because of Garrett Riley, Riley and Kate Lubnick? Riley. Is that why we did yeah, that? I think so. I think okay. so. Yeah. It, it's it's Seems uh, USC over under was ten at the pre in the preseason. Uh, I mean they're se- seven and three right now, so they can make it. But but they are they're obviously. You know, eighth and team talent composite, and, and they're not they're not mm-hmm. playing up to that. Yep. TCU is the other one that was, man, I, I was all in on TCU early in the season. Then they lost to Colorado, and then they look like maybe they bounced back. And now they've lost a couple in a row. They lost at Texas Tech. They got blown out by Kansas State. They're not going to make their over under, which was seven and a half wins. So they are massive underachiever this year. And I still think they have talent. I watched them, and I still think yep. TCU is a talented team. But something's not right there. I actually uh, thought seven and a half was the right number for this team too. Like going into the year. See, that I thought they seem, were going to go. Didn't seem over. extreme to me. It did seem extreme, but I thought I thought they would hit eight, maybe nine. Okay. Uh, and then when and then when we got to the preseason, I sat here and said I thought they were going to start six and zero, oh and and finish with at least nine wins. And hmm. buddy, that ain't that is not going to happen. <laughs> they're uh, not the rest of the story. They're four and five right now, uh, so they're not going to make that. So. Uh, Texas Tech. We talked about Arkansas. Any other any other underachievers on this list? Uh, there's a lot of them you know, that we already know uh, are not going to make their over unders. Yeah, you know, uh, a a big kind of surprising one. And again, I don't know if just the, the expectations in the preseason were just a little bit out of whack here. But I mean, the number one Wisconsin, the number one Wisconsin was eight and a half, and Wisconsin mm-hmm. is not going to get eight and a half. Um, that that is, I don't know if that was just a Reflection of the doubt uh, that anybody else in the Big Ten West would would have a great year. Um, I, I suppose Iowa was also eight and a half, but 
yeah, year one under Luke Fickle, um, that has that has not been uh, not been what people expected for sure. Yeah, one one I want to ask you about before we get out. I'm more on the positive side, uh, at least for right now. That's that's not what you want to see. <laughs> before we get out of here, one one more I want to ask you about is one you're intimately familiar with. Uh, Nebraska, they started the year 0-2. Mm-hmm. You know, Jeff Sims ended up getting hurt, and it was really rough. And then now, you know, they 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 bounced back, and they started to play better down the stretch. I think, what's your feel on where we are year one with Matt Rule in Nebraska so far? They are they are exactly at expectations. Not mm-hmm. not over, not under. Um, just they got to figure out a way to get one more, um, and that'll be. It's going to be interesting to see can they can they do that with the way that their schedule is is setting up here. But you know, I think that they hasn't been always been pretty um, with this crew. But I think that they're getting getting better. I think they're doing the things that people kind of like want to see to like believe. Okay, this is like pointing in the right direction. This is not a big dysfunctional mess. The loss the loss of Michigan State's not great. Obviously, um, that that would have been a, a nice way to just get the six and get it out the way. Um, they've got, they're coming home to play Maryland and then they've got a uh, road trip to, to Wisconsin. They got Iowa at home. I think they can get one more and getting one more, I think, and, and getting six wins, uh, believe me and speak for the people around here, just getting to a bowl game again would be mm-hmm. a really big deal. Um, and, and, uh, alleviate a lot of, uh, a lot of tension about just how long it's been. So, uh, I, I think Nebraska will still figure out a way to do that. Don't know if it'll be this week, but, uh, yeah, that's been, Considering how it looked after Colorado, it's been uh, it's been a lot better since. Yeah, I think uh, as as with anything, the Matt, the first year in the Matt Rule program is always the toughest. I think uh, long term, yep. I think they're going to be all right though. Uh, for sure, for we'll sure. be interesting to see. Well, well, thank you, Max, and and thank you all for listening and joining us on Until Saturday with Max and Sam. Be sure you're subscribed to the Until Saturday feed so that you're notified when we publish the podcast. Don't forget. Power Hour will be live on Tuesday night, right after the college football playoff rankings are unveiled. So be sure to hit the subscribe button on that YouTube channel so you can join Nicole Auerbach and Chris Vanini as they react and discuss the newest set of playoff rankings. Of course, Power Hour will also be in your audio feeds on Tuesday night, right after the reaction show. So be on the lookout for that. Of course, be sure to join all our live streams, Tuesday's playoff reaction, Thursday's for the pick shows, Saturday night for the game reaction, and Sundays for the sound off. Subscribe to the Until Saturday newsletter. Link to that is in the show description. For Max Olson, I'm Sam Kahn. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week.